0: This is Here's How, Ireland's political, social and current affairs podcast,
1: presented by William Campbell. Thank you for downloading episode 24 of Here's How. After interviewing Sarah Benson of Ruhama in November, I was contacted by Gay Dalton, a former sex worker and now an independent sex workers rights advocate. In this episode, I'll be talking to her about her experiences and views on prostitution.
0: Here's How is Ireland's political, social and current affairs podcast. Make your view heard. Just dial 76 076- 603 5060 and tell the world what you're thinking. Your voicemail may be included in the next podcast. You can find tips on recording your contribution and other ways to contact the show at hereshow.ie slash call.
1: Online now, I have Gay Dalton. Gay is a former sex worker. She's now an independent sex worker activist. Um, Gay, you contacted me after I spoke to Sarah Benson of Ruhama. Um, Maybe first of all, just tell me uh, very briefly your own background. Right. Well, not
0: to get into too much detail, I wound up one day in a position where I had a choice between um, selling sex, committing a crime and going into prison. Or suiciding. I, I didn't have a rational survival option. That just happens to people sometimes.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, my, my story would take a six-part series to tell, but that was the that was where it le- left me. That was the place I was standing.
1: Mm-hmm. Can, can you give me an idea of maybe how long you stayed in the sex industry? I was a sex
0: worker for almost exactly six years. And I had been for a little while before, and, you know, but... The, In Dublin, it
1: was for six years. And you listened to the uh, interview with Sarah Benson that I did before. She characterized the position of prostitutes as um, particularly disempowered. And uh, in particular, she said that only a very small proportion of prostitutes would Fill the um, the the type of role that Laura Lee had described of being sort of working independently and being able to keep all of the money that they make. In your experience, what which of those is closer to the
0: truth? I have to say, Laura Lee. Well, I actually know Laura Lee from mm-hmm. that time, and although she, I will say, I was never able to crack her insistence that she really enjoyed sex work. Myself, personally, at four o'clock in the morning. When I knew Laura Lee, I knew two women who had pimps, right? Mm-hmm. Now, when I say pimps, I mean they were in really dysfunctional relationships. If they'd been hospital consultants, these men would have been taking every penny they made. So they weren't groomed into sex work or anything like that. They had a drug-addicted partner who was just helping himself to everything in range and getting very threatening about it. Those were the only two I knew at
1: that time. Can you give me an idea of when that was?
0: That would have been round about, oh God, or is going to kill me. Never mind, not my fault. I didn't give birth to her. Uh-huh. Uh, round about
1: 1991,
0: 1992.
1: I think it's fair to say that's well before the influx of uh, Eastern European uh, migrants to Ireland. Is it possible that that has changed significantly? And the, the picture that, that um, Ruhama and also the other people have painted is that you get, people perhaps who are not forced to travel to Ireland, but who travel maybe under false pretences or not knowing exactly the circumstances that they're going to end up in. They are then perhaps given an exaggerated uh, story of how likely they are to be arrested if they're seen on the streets. Um, They might be subject to anything from actual force to low level intimidation. Isn't it possible that the character of sex work has changed significantly since then? I don't think it's possible that the
0: character of humanity, including sex workers, has changed dramatically since before the Roman Empire. I mean, you can go back in history. are very, very rare. As far as I know, the girls who are coming from Eastern Europe pretty much understand what they're coming into. Um, now, I personally, right, I, I don't feel comfortable with this, but they do. You know, my comfort doesn't rule the world. Um, they feel happier if they're coming to someone who knows the country. Because remember, this is, this is the dark side of the moon to them when first come here. Mm-hmm. They're comfortable with somebody arranging accommodation. Obviously, if you've ever tried to arrange accommodation when you don't speak the language properly, they're comfortable with somebody setting up there. I'm not saying I'm comfortable with it, but they're the ones who can't, and they are comfortable with it. They're not chained to radiators. Um, they're not working against their will. I don't know what their cash split is. I know that the cash split among other sex workers can be something like uh, 60-40 with 40 to sex worker, which is horrific, right? 50-50 across the board. When we had incidental decriminalisation for 10 years, the cash split was something like 15 to 20% to the organisation and 80% to the... And when I say organisation, I don't mean organised crime, I mean massage parlours. And I think it was one escort agency. Uh, Did you have any experience with that personally? Um, I did one weekend in a massage parlor and decided it wasn't for me. Um, I did work briefly for an escort agency. And I have to say, there was only one escort agency at the time. And the woman who ran that escort agency was absolutely lovely, was taking less than 10% and was the only person I was ever comfortable working for in any business. I I wouldn't call her a pimp in a million years.
1: And having listened to, um, on the previous podcast and and on other uh, interviews, Sarah Benson um, characterizing that, she said that she reckoned about 80% of sex workers were working for a pimp in one way or another. Uh, um, What's your view of that?
0: I've no idea where she'd get her information, because to the best of my knowledge, something like 95% of sex workers won't go near Ruhama. Uh, I do actually. I have an idea where she got her and this is all this is all public record stuff, so you're perfectly okay. They have someone they work with all the time, and used to trot out as a victim. Uh, and she has a tendency to use that expression: everybody works for a pimp in some way. Um, which, considering her real background, doesn't sound very... I I wouldn't take that as very valid at all. It's a silly talk. But sex workers don't talk to Ruhama. This is the whole thing. Sex workers do not engage with Ruhama. They don't want anything to do with Ruhama. So how on earth could Ruhama know
1: anything about their lives? In that case... For example, and uh, I know that there are certain websites that you can view um, fairly easily, um, Ruhama made points about that. For example, that the um, text on the on the website seemed to have been written, although it presented as being advertisements for different people, it seemed to have been written by the same person. For example, there were sequential phone numbers listed, so different supposedly independent escorts uh, gave a mobile phone number to dial but they were very closely connected with other um, supposedly independent escorts on that website. Do you think that indicates a degree of uh, organization that is um the mean You mean, you're, uh, you mean you're, round?
0: S- you're saying that several sex workers were using the same phone?
1: No they were using phones that were obviously bought in a batch
0: I don't think I actually don't think it does. I mean, the the the, the sex because of the the semi legal of the nature of the industry, sex workers are having to change numbers all the time. You um, buy, you know, but for one woman to go into Vodafone or whatever and sort of say, can I have ten sims? Mm-hmm. They're just going to give her the 10 off the top of the pile. Yeah. Now, also having said that, where... The, no, but, yeah, but there what,
1: were 10, 10 or however many, I don't know that it was 10, but a number of sequential SIM cards working at the same time.
0: I would have to see that for myself. I wouldn't even believe Sarah Benson about that, to be honest with you. But if that's the case, right? Remember, as I said to you, the foreign women say they prefer somebody to set up everything for them, the accommod- when they first come here, not not forever, you know. <clears throat> But until they get used to the place and they get used to where everything is, it's not unheard of that they would prefer somebody to to sort, a, a, you know, a, a mobile phone out for them. It mm-hmm. really isn't. But I would ha- I have never no, I'm not saying that I have seen or that I have never seen. Mm-hmm. It. When I say I've never seen it, I'm not saying that's because it's not there. I'm saying I've never seen it. And I honestly, if Sarah Benson told me grass was green, I would
1: go out and check. Um, Well, Sarah Benson isn't here to answer for herself, but she she gave a very um, detailed uh, acquittal of herself in a previous podcast. Um, But what would you say uh, is the average age of, say, a young woman coming from... Eastern Europe, in Ireland, and ending up in prostitution?
0: I would say the age of those young women is about 22 to 25, right? Mm-hmm. The age of other women in the sex industry, when you ask them is 30. When you ask to see their passport, it's usually closer to 40.
1: Do you think that, and you mentioned uh, before we started recording that, that uh, you had uh, worked in the sex industry in London. Can I ask, uh, if you want to tell me, uh, what age were you when you began there?
0: Let me have a think. What, what, the age I was at, I first sold sex on one occasion in Dublin, and I was 22.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Then I didn't sell sex again for another three years, at which time I was 25. Bearing in mind, I'd been, a, I, I'd, been a run, I'd been a runaway, an absconder, and all this kind of thing. But I think this is an important point to make here. I couldn't sell sex. I was jealous of the girls who could sell sex when I was a runaway of 40 because they had warm places to live, they had plenty of food, they had plenty of clothes. I was just having to do survival sex, whatever anyone would give me. The reason I couldn't sell sex is very simple. I was six foot tall and fully developed. Now, the the market that looked for young women, you know, teenage girls, Mm -hmm. had no interest in someone like me. And the adult market would have set me out like shankwere and handed me to the police, which was the last thing I wanted. Mm-hmm. Because the adult sex market is really, really down on underage sex. Mm-hmm. They don't tolerate it. It's too big a risk to them. The, the, the two are actually, as far as I know, in London, the two are absolutely separate. It's mm-hmm. Just very, very unusual because I was also a teenage runaway in London that I actually know where some of the underage market went on. But most people in the sex industry wouldn't have a clue that there is an underage market.
1: Mm. And uh, looking at any of the uh, websites that um, advertise uh, sex for sale, and I've looked at uh, ones that are obviously escort agencies and ones that purport to be uh, independent sex workers and could well be. But looking at both of them, it's very clear that a major selling point is how young the prostitute is. Uh, I also, I mean, I followed link, uh, I think actually from, uh, that I got from Laura Lee uh, to another uh, site that purported, I don't have any way of verifying it, but purports to be an independent sex worker. The first line in her description is that she's in her early 20s. Isn't it true that even in, even in the, what you call the adult sex market, the demand is sharpest at perhaps somebody who's over 18 but but not very much over 18
0: absolutely it's identical to the gay community to the gay scene not the gay community Um, i mean i always remember the the, the one escort agency i did work for she'd always tell everybody that we were 28 and most of the calls would say can you tell me something are you really 28 Mm
1: -hmm.
0: um you know it yeah but it's no different to the gay scene in the gay scene guys Try to stay, you know, if if you want a prolific sex life, shall we say. Guys, try to stay young as long as possible. They're appealing to exactly the same impulse in a gay man that sex workers are appealing to in a straight man. But it's fantasy, remember, this is actually, believe it or not, as horrific as it can be for some people, and as desperate as some sex workers are, when you're there, when you're on stage, when you go into work, this is an entertainment industry. And everybody wants the beautiful bird, the showgirl, right? Mm-hmm. Showgirls don't have a life much after 26. Uh,
1: but the the point of that, surely is that in any other profession, people are vulnerable to be exploited when they are youngest and newest in the profession uh, as they you know, kind of gain experience, they also gain experience of how to protect themselves and to maximize their their returns. But in any other profession, people who are less experienced are less desirable. Isn't the combination of somebody being young and available for prostitution being A, the most desirable to the customer, if you want to put it that way, and also the most easy to exploit. Isn't that a a recipe for uh, um, a very severe amount of uh, exploitation? I don't think so. I mean, the fashion industry is even worse. They don't want new fashion models
0: who are over 16 at this stage. I don't think exploitation is a a factor. And I'll tell you, if you look at at young people socially, right, Mm -hmm. just socially, they're an awful lot harder to control in their late teens, early 20s, than they are in their 30s and 40s. Because they're willful, they're, um, what's the word, they're they're very strong-minded, they're very stubborn, they're very willful at those ages, they are far harder to exploit. The easiest women to exploit in the sex industry are the ones that are
1: starting to age out around about 40. And can you tell me, um, Laura Lee, who I interviewed, I think, um, quite a few podcasts ago, um essentially described a, a situation where she was quite happy with the work that she was doing. How many women in the sex industry would you think that is typical of? Well,
0: now, I know I've become very close friends with another woman who I can assure you is definitely very similar. And yet she's very, very happy in the sex industry and actually enjoys it for what it is. And I certainly don't, didn't. You know, for me, it was all performance. Um, when I knew Laura Lee, um, genuinely, she would have been one of two women I knew who actually in private at four o'clock in the morning over the whiskey would say, I really enjoy my job. I enjoy doing clients. Right. And as I said earlier, I, she was only very young then. and I tried to crack through that. I thought this has to be a defense mechanism. Mm-hmm. I never managed to get through it. And I'm pretty good at getting through things like that. So
1: um i think women who actively can, can enjoy i ask you okay, two, two, two women two women of out of how many that you would have known well now i'm
0: talking about the ones that i would have had four, four o'clock in the morning oh conversations the two women at that time the women i would have known would have amounted to i shocks me when i count my fingers actually amounted to something like fifty or 60 but right. not on terms of that close a conversation in every
1: case if you know what i mean i i, um, I do but but my, my point is that's perhaps five percent of the women who you knew who were involved in prostitution who you felt genuinely said that they were happy yeah, doing definitely. what they're doing um I, i'm sure there's a lot of people who don't enjoy their job but if you have uh in what has to be an extremely draining if not soul crushing position only five percent of people are saying that they're happy with it there's something wrong there surely
0: um, well i i don't think that would be very in in work to live positions i don't think that would be remember they're talking about actively enjoying i'm not talking about don't mind this is a mm-hmm. whole different category don't mind would be more like eighty percent right <laughs> what you have i can only talk of my experience of sex work which doesn't seem very different to the women I talked to you know was close enough to talk talk to closely with but to me the worst part of sex work is overcoming the taboo and the stigma at First, right. Mm-hmm. Actually doing the sex work. Pers- this is my personal attitude that isn't necessarily common. I would have been, because to me, my sexuality, that's for my personal use in my free time. I would have been horrified to become aroused. I would have been even more horrified to orgasm. But I certainly didn't mind. And the actual experience. Of sex work is like having a med- having a dental exam except you get money beforehand and there's no risk of anybody telling you you need to find 2000 euros for a crown afterwards. The worst part of it is that it's kind of boring. It's, it's hard to pass the time in exactly the same way. Once you strip all the stigma out of it, ignore the taboo, that is what selling sex is like. There's nothing traumatic about it. There's nothing painful about it. You know, and th- this whole thing, I, I've noticed that the abolitionist movement have this great thing. Oh, because they have to do so. It's, it's worse because they have to do so many. And I can't help wondering why they wouldn't then try to end the demand by setting a minimum price for the sale of sex the way they're trying to do for alcohol. But mm-hmm. the thing is, once you're actually selling sex, and I've checked this with friends of mine, on a night when I'd got six, seven, or even eight clients, I would be going home as high as a kite. I'm wonderful. Wow, this is fabulous. This is the life for me. On a night when I could only get two or three clients, I would be miserable as sin. So basically having to overcome the taboo of selling sex is the hard and traumatic part. Once you're actually selling sex, to a certain extent, this sounds awful, but it's true, the more the merrier. Because you mm-hmm. want the money, because that's all it's about to a sex worker, is the money, the wages at the
1: end of the week. And one other question, just on the logistics, um, Sarah Benson um, mentioned the threat of violence. What was your experience with that, e- either actual violence or just feeling insecure, uh, feeling that threat?
0: Feeling that threat is actually pretty rare, Right. Um, no different to what you would expect any woman... Define,
1: define pretty rare. Well,
0: this is what I'm going to do. I, I was a street worker, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, now, that obviously, that was the, the the Burlington Road, Waterloo Road end. But the feeling threatened would be no greater for me, maybe slightly less than any of the women who were wandering around uh, looking for nightclubs at that time of the night. The, 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 it wasn't quite rational because I don't think, you know, the people who, who actually steal things... Uh, do have rudimentary brains, and I'm sure it doesn't take them very long to work out that sex workers are far more likely to have cash in their handbags than anyone going to a nightclub. Mm-hmm. But we felt as secure as any other woman on the same streets at the same time. Violence was very, very rare. I'm trying to think of an equivalent that we see on the news. Um...
1: Well, I'm, I'm wondering—is that Jeff, true? Jeff because road, Jeff, I, no, because I, uh, I read in the uh, aftermath of the Ipswich murders of prostitutes uh, in 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 um, Norfolk a few years ago, the calculation was done that a sex worker is murdered in the UK on average one about once every two weeks. That's enormously more than I, I don't uh, you, I don't know how valid. that. No, well, I'm
0: just talking about Dublin now, mm-hmm. you know, and that specific community.
1: Um, I don't know. You don't feel that that sex workers are are more vulnerable to being attacked, more vulnerable to being murdered? I know that on the streets in the
0: UK, sex workers would be constantly terrified of the police. That's it. They wouldn't be thinking of anything else. You know, and I think I I did actually know the woman who was, just to talk to and have coffee with, I didn't know her deeply, that was murdered by the M4 rapist, picked up in Park Lane. But she, I know that she would have spent her shifts the way I spent mine, terrified of the police, not terrified of violence or a killer. Serial mm-hmm. killers are very unusual, you know. The only reason they eventually come to sex workers, even if they don't start with them because Jesus tells them to, is because, believe it or not, like any other fellow on a night out looking for his home, serial killers are not overly keen on rejection, and of course a sex worker is not going to reject their initial overture. And it comes mm-hmm. the night... When they can't face the idea of being told to sod off, you're too bald or you're too fat or something, then they eventually turn to sex workers. And that that has that was actually studied.
1: Don't ask me by who, because I can't remember, but it makes sense to me. Um, you said, obviously, that you left the sex industry after about six years. Um, Ruhama are um, very active in, uh, uh, they say, trying to assist women to leave prostitution. I take it you didn't get their assistance, and uh, if not, why? Ruhama didn't like me because in
0: 1993, I they were only starting up. Now they were were always in tandem with the Women's Health Service, the Women's Health Project, as it was then. At that time, the Women's Health Project was the lead organisation, but it's all to do with funding and HSC politics, and so basically, essentially, the same organisation, right? Mm they didn't like me because I insisted on going to the press and speaking for myself instead of uh, letting them speak for me. What they, the, the few women that would engage with them, and women that were with Dolores Lynch 10 years earlier when she tried to get to speak to the justice minister, and she eventually died a really horrible death for, for fighting for what she believed in. And the, but these same women that were so proud of having got, got, the, got it all decriminalized, through the constitutional challenge, was suddenly afraid to, themse- to speak for themselves. Ruhama had completely undermined their sense
1: of self. I watched it. It was systematic. It, I... can, no, no, hold on for a second. Can you say, give, elaborate on that? How, how does Ruham undermine their sense of self?
0: Right. Well, they were, as far as I can tell at that time, they were constantly feeding them this message of, oh, you have to be afraid of the media. Um, no, they, they'll, they'll screw you over. No, let us talk for you. And then they had this incredible, which to me, was absolutely incredible uh, notion that they said to them of you mustn't ever talk to the media unless they're paying for you, paying you to. Now, to me, civil rights are not just a right. They're a privilege to, to, to fight for your civil rights is a privilege, right? Mm-hmm. If you're fighting for your civil rights, you don't ask people to pay you for it. That's mm-hmm. ridiculous. You know, so say, say we're running a strike or something. You don't don't, don't call up the the Indo and say, oh, we'll give you interviews as long as you're paying us. I have
1: to clarify. I have to clarify. Ruhama never asked me and I don't pay for interviews. And, and I've Oh, no, never no, no, they, asked for no, no,
0: no, 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 no. Their, their staff wouldn't. Their staff, they were telling the sex workers to do that. This is in, like, in 1993. Okay. They completely undermined them. They, com- they t- made them terrified of the press. They made them terrified of politicians.
1: Then but but just to focus, themselves. just to focus on the the process by which you left Sex work. Um, it, it, how did you manage that, and how did you uh, move to, you know, obviously funding your life? Uh, did you move, get different employment, or what happened? What happened is
0: that basically a, a gentleman who's been played by Kevin Spacey approached me with an, an offer I wasn't supposed to be able to refuse, as he was, he, with the new law coming in, he was going to try and move in on the streets that mm-hmm. he'd never dared run protection on before. Um, I, actually, I actually thought he was messing. So when I told him, I, I didn't think he was really who he said he was at all. So when I told him no, I was extremely rude about it.
1: You are you, talking about a criminal.
0: Yeah, I'm talking about a well-known criminal who has been played by Kevin Spacey. Um, when, if I'd known who he really was, I would have refused him more politely, but I was really extremely rude right? Mm-hmm. In his mind, he wasn't just affecting me at all, so being me became kind of an extreme sport. That is why I left sex work. Now, for example, I'm still waiting for Ruhama to get back to me on whether I'm entitled to benefits or not to this day. You
1: mm-hmm. know... Um, I And, 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 and what, what did you... Can I ask, what did you do?
0: What I did, at first, I will say... Um, An old client of mine gave me all his savings. Um, A couple of other old clients came up with sexual needs that they haven't had since they were about 15 and insisted on paying me. Uh, One of the bank managers at my branch was suddenly very, very, very easy to turf out money to me. A well-known credit card, these days they used to hustle you to take their credit cards, you know. A well-known credit card tried to con me into thinking that I needed to get their credit card or all of another debt would suddenly fall due. So I thought, well, you've got down on your knees and begged for it, here it is. I lived from day to day. I was reading books. I knew when the money ran out, I was going to have to suicide. Mm-hmm. I was re- I was reading books, just trying not to think about it. I started doing something that I absolutely hate that wrecks my head. I was I was making soft furnishings, 18-hour days, seven-day weeks. I got no help from anyone. I've got no help from anyone to this day. Gay, okay, can I ask what are you doing these days? How Very, do you survive? I've, I've never I've never managed to get anything akin to. A real life. I hardly ever leave the house. I'm autistic, by the way. Um, Mm. I hardly ever leave the house. I've never been able to get any help or counselling. The reason I've never been able to get any help or counselling is because Ruhama dominate everybody's opinions of what sex work and sex workers
1: are. And I don't fit that. And I can't get past that. If you were to if you were to single out a legal model that you think works well, what in terms of? Legalization or regulation of prostitution, what would you recommend?
0: Well I you see, most people talk about the New Zealand model. I would go I'd go a little bit further. I would T- say tell you what that is. The New Zealand model is just decriminalization, basically where suddenly a sex worker is in the same position as a plumber. Uh-huh. You just take the crime out of it. I from experience I would say that you also need zoning for street workers because there's only going to be trouble that will lead to demand for further legislation. It's better to zone street workers to places where they're useful rather than harmful. For example, places that need late night, extra late-night security. Areas of the city that are unsafe to walk in suddenly become safe if they're a red-light district because there are people around who aren't going to watch you get mugged. You know, really deserted areas. Not I don't mean really criminal areas, I mean really, really deserted areas. If you can mm-hmm. fill them up with a red-light district, they suddenly become physically safe. You might get propositioned a couple of times, but you're not going to get bashed over the head, right? Mm-hmm. I also think that the only way to avoid real problems is to register indoor sex workers, not necessarily attached to their real name or whatever, attached to something, something, a, a unique identifier like a fingerprint, right? So that, basically, so that you know that they're working independently, and I think you need to give, like, you need to give a three-month grace period because you don't want to. Commit somebody to the sex industry just by registering them, if you understand what I mean.
1: I understand, yes.
0: As far as I'm concerned, if you would give zones for street workers and you would give this registration for indoor workers with that three-month grace period, while they make up their mind if they want to commit to it, obviously, as far as I'm concerned, you could bring in the death penalty outside of those two things, as long as they had full decriminalization within those two criteria so that the women who need to make that money could go on making that money and could start start to be full members of society who could call the guards if they needed to didn't have to hide and run I think if sex workers didn't have to hide didn't have to be stigmatized didn't have to be filtered through organizations that won't even talk Ruhanna won't even listen to us by the way if we, if we don't agree with them They just block us on all social media, everything. They will not. If anyone who cares about you, if you're saying, hey, we don't like what you're doing, say, Christ, come here and tell me, come here and tell me. No, Ruhama just block us. Pretend we don't exist. We're not allowed in their meetings, right? But I think... I I have to say, I have to say, I was was
1: in touch with someone involved uh, in another radio station uh, after interviewing Ruhama. And um, the feedback was, uh, I was lucky to get them that they will never come back to a, a interview that they that they don't perceive is, is uh, friendly enough.
0: Yeah, I, that would be my person. But also, like, they've been booked for inter... People have tried. I've tried to go head-to-head with them. They won't go head-to-head with me. Laura Lee's tried to go head-to-head. The only time I've ever seen them on TV with a sex worker, they insisted on a split broadcast. You know, so that basically you had Denise Charlton for the first half and you had someone else, I actually forget who, for the second half. They wouldn't go directly into discussion, you know, but I do think if if sex workers were given that legitimacy, there would be more mobility in and out of the sex trade. There'd be more mobility out of the sex trade, because if you could license as a sex worker, right, Mm -hmm. and feel perfectly okay, feel just like everybody else. You know, you you get your car loan, you get your mortgage, everything. You get offered a job as what, you know, art gallery director somewhere. You can take that job knowing it's only going to last six months and then go back to sex work.
1: But as things are now,
0: you can't do
1: that. Uh, Gay Dalton, a former sex worker, now independent sex work activist. Thank you very much for talking to me. And thank you for talking to me.
0: Make your view heard. Dial 076 603 5060 and leave a contribution for the show. You can find tips on how to record a good contribution and other ways to contact the podcast at hereshow.ie
1: slash call. That's almost the end of episode 24 of Here's How, Ireland's political, social and current affairs podcast, published on the 28th of December, 2015. There's a link to Gay Dalton's YouTube channel in this episode's page on the hereshow.ie website. If you can think of a topic or want to suggest someone else to include, and that could be you, then let me know. If you like the podcast, please go on iTunes and write a nice review. Also, please like the show on Facebook. Please follow at Here's How Podcast on Twitter. And of course, subscribe to the show. You can use iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, or any other podcast app or software. You can do all of that or get in touch with the show right from www.hereshow.ie. Or you could just go out to a New Year's party and tell all your friends how great the podcast is. The next show will be uploaded shortly. The Here's How podcast is produced and presented by me, William Campbell. Thank you for listening.